Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Gary Martin. Hello, Texas. Thanks so much for joining us for Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas out to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Every winter, the calendar is full of events for Texas High Plains Ag producers to participate in. I'm James Hunt, and on Texas Ag Today, I'll tell you about two such events, including one concerning the future of our region's water supply, and another on estate planning for families in agriculture. Central and East Texas have seen record temperatures along with snow and ice. Many may be concerned about whether or not their warm season forages will survive this weather. I'm Dr. Vanessa Olson from Overton. We'll have those stories, plus the latest news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. It may be a few weeks before we know the extent of the damage caused to Texas agriculture by the winter storm. Jessica Domel has more. Dr. Juan Enciso, a horticulturalist for the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service in Westlaco, said conditions right now in the valley rival that of a winter storm in December of 1989. The low temperature in Westlaco earlier this week was 21 degrees. Extended low temperatures in the Rio Grande Valley and the Winter Garden area will affect leafy greens, onions, beets, parsley, watermelons, and citrus. AgriLife reports oranges are frozen solid and some grapefruits are frozen as well. 80% of the orange crop and two-thirds of the grapefruit crop were harvested before the winter weather hit. Still, the citrus and specialty crop industries in Texas will suffer significant losses. Some warm season crops like potatoes, watermelons, early planted corn, and grain sorghum could also be affected. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. The damage to early planted corn in South Texas may not be known for a few more days. Scott Stanislaw, this technical agronomist for DeKalb, Asgro, and Delta Pine in South Texas, he says you need to wait a few days before actually determining how much damage was done. You know, of course, everyone's going to want to run out there right away after the cold leaves to go see what's going on. And, and really, honestly, it's unfortunately for, for guys, it's going to probably be three to five days after the temperatures moderate back to normal before you can really assess the damage and see see what's uh, what's left there in the field. Scott Stanislav, technical agronomist for DeKalb, Asgro, and Delta Pine in South Texas. It's winter meeting season across Texas. James Hunt looks at two meetings in the High Plains that you may want to check out. Coming up on Wednesday and Thursday of this week is the Ogallala Aquifer Virtual Summit we've talked about previously. The interactive online event is bringing together experts from eight states to discuss how to preserve the aquifer. It's our region's most important source of irrigation, 
But as Dr. Brent Overman of Texas A&M AgriLife reminds us, the Ogallala is limited. It's an aquifer that we're pumping out of that's not being replenished to any significant degree. And where does that lead? It leads inevitably to depletion. The question is, how fast are we depleting it? And can we adapt our agricultural systems fast enough to make profitable enterprises the wave of the future rather than something we look back on fondly and nostalgically? If you want to participate in the Ogallala Aquifer Summit, register at ogallalawater.org. Again, that's ogallalawater.org. Also on the calendar, a Texas A&M AgriLife estate planning seminar on the evening of March 2nd at the Event Center in Spearman. Extension agent Christy Slough says estate planning is important for everyone, of course, but especially for those in agriculture. Because... You're not dealing with just, oh, I have a house and some bank accounts, stocks, bonds, stuff like that. In the ag world, you have land involved. You have equipment and machinery involved. And one of the big things that nobody thinks about is you have debt involved. And you have to have some estate planning measures in place because that debt's not just going to disappear when somebody passes away. Registration deadline for the seminar is February 28th. Contact the Extension Office in either Hutchinson or Hansford County for more information. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Last week's snow and ice caused challenges for all of Texas agriculture, including Texas poultry growers. Michael Matter grows chickens in East Texas in Nacogdoches County. And Michael, electricity has been the big issue all over Texas over the past week. And Michael, have you been able to keep the lights on there at your farm? Yeah, here in East Texas, it's been, uh, Encore has been doing a lot of uh, rolling outages. I'm actually with Deep East Texas Cooperative. So far, I've had electricity, so that's been a real good blessing. So, Michael, how are you doing after getting over a week of below freezing weather? Um, I'm actually doing pretty decent. Um, I have uh, like five-day-old birds. I'm using lots of natural gas at the moment, but it's going fairly well. Uh I haven't had any feed delivery issues because uh, of them being babies. We have enough inventory that I won't uh, need a truck for probably another week or so. Um, just getting uh, to and from the, the houses sometimes has been a problem just with all the ice and snow. Well, Michael, how long have you been in the poultry business? Uh, this particular farm, we started it in uh, 1997, uh, where I'm at right now. Previously, we had a different farm uh, here in Nectar County different, at a different property. My family actually started raising birds uh, 1966. Actually, my father started with Purina way back there, and we've been we've been in it ever since. And in all of that time, is this the worst cold blast you've ever been through? Yes, for sure. Uh, here in Nacogdoches, most of the time, if we get snow, it's like it snows one day, melts the next day. Um, but this has been a very prolonged episode, I guess you could call it. Uh, yeah, I, I've never remembered anything like this, and I'm I'm 60. Well, it's good to hear that you're doing well, Michael, but I can imagine when you get that gas bill from the past week, it's going to be a big one. Yes, um, it's going to be a, a large bill. You just may have to cut back on something else that I might want to do as it warms up, improving uh, some roads or uh, fences, such as that, we just have to wait a longer. Well, what about other poultry growers in your area of the state, Michael? Have you heard of any other problems out there? Uh, I think everything is, is uh, going so-so is, uh, just because of the situation. There is concern about the weight of the snow. There have been some uh, poultry houses in Deep East Texas to have uh, fallen in. And I think there's been three or four of this uh, event 
in the last snow event, uh, I know there were uh, three or four or five that fell in. Just the weight of the snow has been a problem. That's Michael Metter, a poultry grower in Nacogdoches County in East Texas. How will warm season forages be affected by last week's Arctic blast? Dr. Vanessa Olson takes a look from Overton. As a warm season grass, Bermuda grass can be sensitive to winter damage in spite of dramatic genetic improvement to cold tolerance. Winter kill can be caused by a combination of factors. Winter kill is dependent on moisture, low temperature, and the duration of low temperatures. Low temperatures can be damaging when it occurs late in the winter or early spring and lasts up to a week to 10 days. Areas most susceptible to winter kill include north-facing slopes, heavily shaded areas, poorly drained areas, areas planted with poorly adapted cultivars, areas trafficked during winter, areas of substantial soil compaction, areas that were newly sprigged or seeded last summer, and areas with deficient levels of soil potassium. To reduce the risk of winter kill, it is critical to follow best management practices during the growing season. Those practices would include maintaining appropriate soil fertility, especially potassium levels for Bermuda grass. Potassium is essential in plants to combat diseases, aid in water use, and for winter hardiness. Deficiencies of potassium can cause both yield losses and stand losses. Bermuda grass is especially sensitive to potassium deficiencies. Maintaining some substantial Bermuda grass stubble height, greater than four inches, going into winter can be beneficial for the future growing season. Higher stubble height means more substantial root structure to capture deeper soil moisture and nutrients. Maintaining a higher stubble height generally results in increased loading of rhizomes reserves and increases canopy insulation of crowns during the winter. Unfortunately, we won't know the true impact of this weather until Bermuda grass greens up in the spring. For now, we can plan ahead for improving our forage management for this coming warm season. Using best management practices that encourage healthy stands, better nutrient utilization, along with grazing management and hay production practices that extend the longevity of the stand, is our best line of defense. This is Dr. Vanessa Olson with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension. Farmers must pay H-2A workers more here in 2021, as defined by a report from the Department of Agriculture. Michael Clements reports from Washington. The Farm Labor Survey, released this month by the Department of Agriculture, sent the minimum wage farmers must pay H-2A workers, known as the Adverse Effect Wage Rate. American Farm Bureau Federation economist Veronica Nye says the 2021 rate increased 4.5%. 2021 is another year of an increase in farm labor rates. What's most important are regional rates. And there we saw California is certainly the leader, unfortunately, for that date, an increase in wages of 8.7%, where the Delta and Southeast region both showing increases of less than 1% in wages. The adverse effect wage rate is usually published in November, but a potential policy change delayed the announcement. There were some potential policy changes the outgoing administration put into place that the courts then struck down that basically delayed the collection of the wage data via the USDA surveys. That meant USDA had to reissue the survey, collect that information, and so we're only just now getting that survey data out. The new rate goes into effect immediately. Whether farmers will need to issue back pay for wages earned before the announcement is to be determined. Nye says the 2021 increase follows several years of increases. Over the last five years, we've seen a national average increase in the AWAR of 20%. So certainly looking at increases in 
and they were year after year that are outpacing the regular employment cost index, which is a measurement of the total changes across all occupations in the U.S. Learn more on the Market Intel page at FB.org. Michael Clements, Washington. Landowners now have more time to apply for a conservation and wildlife habitat improvement program. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I have details coming up on Texas Ag Today. And deworming is a routine practice for horses, but it is possible that it could lead to inflammation. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd tells why, coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. This is National FFA Week, and FFA students across the country are celebrating. I'm the National FFA Central Region Vice President, Paxton Dahmer from the state of Missouri. Many special and safe activities are happening in FFA communities this week, but all year long, FFA members experience education, leadership, service, and personal and professional development as FFA feeds our intellectual growth and curiosity. Celebrate with us and share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Well, it's routine practice to deworm your horse, but did you know that could cause inflammation? Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd tells how. And Dr. Ashley Stewart from Texas Tech indicated in the horse publication that small strongjaws are the most prevalent intestinal parasite in horses at this time and are the primary target of deworming programs. This is different from 50 years ago because at that time, large strongyles were the major problem in horses. But the introduction of ivermectin was very effective at decreasing the number of these parasites. Larval stages of the small strongyle insist in the walls of the large intestine and are more difficult to kill with regular deworming medications. It is possible that killing the parasites could lead to adverse reactions. And so she tested this concern using Quest, which kills encysted larvae, and ivermectin, which does not kill encysted larvae. The researchers took 36 horses and treated 12 with ivermectin, 12 with Quest, and 12 were not dewormed at all. The researchers found no differences in inflammation between the treatment groups regardless of the dewormer used. There was more inflammation found in horses with more parasites, which would be expected. However, treatment with drugs that kill the larvae did not seem to be the determining factor in the amount of inflammation, but rather the number of worms present. It seems if a horse is healthy, deworming with a larvicidal medication like Quest does not result in a significant reaction. However, in horses that have other health issues or have not been dewormed in a while and have large numbers of parasites, potentially using a non-larvicidal drug like ivermectin followed in 30 to 60 days by Quest may be a safer option. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd with today's Texas Fed News. You are listening to the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Landowners now have more time to apply for a conservation and wildlife habitat improvement program. Jessica Domel has more in today's wildlife report. If you missed the deadline to sign up for the Conservation Reserve Program earlier this month, you're in luck. 
The U.S. Department of Agriculture has extended the deadline to sign up for the Land Conservation Program. USDA's Rod Bain joins us with more. General CRP sign-up is extended until further notice. That from Farm Service Agency Acting Administrator Steve Peterson. The original sign-up deadline for General CRP was set for February 12th. The sign-up extension comes as the new administration looks at ways to increase acreage enrollment. Currently, almost 21 million acres are enrolled in CRP versus an enrollment cap of 25 million acres per the 2018 Farm Bill. There are some discretionary items that the Secretary makes decisions on, and so they wanted to give him the opportunity to do that. And for landowners with acres already under contract through this general CRP sign-up. We want to reassure producers that if changes are announced, that they will have the opportunity to come back and amend their contract based on those new provisions within the sign-up period. CRP provides a yearly rental payment to farmers who enroll in CRP and agree to remove environmentally sensitive land from agricultural production and plant species that will improve soil quality and health. Contracts for the program typically last 10 to 15 years. This year, sign-up includes increased opportunities for enrollment of wildlife habitat through the State Acres for Wildlife Enhancement, or SAFE, initiative. Details are available on the USDA Farm Service Agency website. You can enroll now at your local Farm Service Agency office. You may want to call ahead as appointments may be required. A new deadline for CRP sign-up has not yet been set. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. The cattle complex closed mixed on Monday with live cattle lower, feeder cattle higher. But the cotton and grain markets took off to the upside once again. We'll take a look at all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. This week is National FFA Week, February 20th through the 27th, and FFA students across the country are celebrating and sharing the FFA story. I'm Miriam Hoffman, National FFA Eastern Region Vice President from Illinois. National FFA Week is a time to share what FFA is and the impact it has on members. It's the top school-based youth leadership organization and cultivates and nurtures future leaders who will change how the world grows. Share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. It was a mixed close to start the week on Monday in the cattle complex. We closed live cattle lower, feeder cattle higher. February live cattle down 20 cents, 115.72. The April down 62 at 123.05. June live cattle down 27, 120.25. March feeder cattle up 20 cents, 139.32. April feeders up 60 at 123.27. The May contract up 35, 146.07. The cash fed cattle market all quiet on Monday. We wrapped up last week selling cattle steady to a dollar higher. Here in Texas, we saw steady money at 114 on a live basis. As you moved up north, prices increased to as high as 116. Dressed sales in the Midwest reported at 180 to 182. Boxed beef prices higher on Monday, choice up 15 cents, 239.38. Select up 98 at 228.88. Time to check in now on the livestock auctions. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. You know, on a week when no cattle sales can be held because of bad, bad weather, it still doesn't stop the livestock market operators from doing their primary job. You folks know what that is. They're cattlemen. 
My friend J.R. Gully spoke with Carl Herman from Caldwell Livestock Commission Company about the goings-on this week in the place of a livestock sale. J.R.? We're on the line now with Carl Herman of Caldwell Livestock Commission. Carl, I know you're not having a sale this week. How are y'all doing otherwise? Well, just taking it a day at a time, trying to get around all these cattle and get them something to eat, either hay or, or cubes, and trying to keep the water trawls busted where they can get a drink or the shot tanks. And yesterday, for example, we had a tractor that still hooked on the tra- uh, shredder, and uh, we had to back it off of that tank. A lot of places where we could bust the ice so the cattle could drink. So it's yeah. just uh, every day's different. So for right now, Carl, things continue to remain pretty icy in your area? Yes, sir. Uh, everything's pretty icy. It has warmed up. It's 32 right now, and, and uh, some of this ice is melting off the trees and the power lines, which is good because we don't need any more power outages or, or uh, anything like that. That was Carl Herman from Caldwell Livestock Commission in Caldwell. Back to you, Larry. So, neighbor, as you can see, the work never ends. Not for a cattleman, not for a livestock auction owner. That's it for today's edition of Walking the Pens. From the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm your host, Larry Marble. Good day. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now. Lean Hogs wrapping up Monday on a higher note. April up 62 cents, 85.12. May Hogs up 45, 87.85. Class 3 milk steady to higher. March milk up 7 cents, 16.34 a hundredweight. There just seems to be no stopping the cotton market. We were sharply higher on Monday, continuing strong demand and competition for acres, with soybeans sitting at $14, corn around $5. The cotton market has to continue to strengthen to attract enough acres to satisfy the strong demand. We closed above 90 cents on the old crop contracts. May cotton up 193 points, 92.41. July cotton up 187 at 93.08. New crop December cotton up 109 points, closing at 86.59 cents. Good strength in the wheat market following the big cold blast last week. July Kansas City wheat up 12 and a quarter, 654 and a half. July Chicago wheat up 13 and three quarters, 657 a bushel. And a strong close in the corn market. March corn up eight and a quarter, five fifty-one. September corn up eight and three quarters, four ninety and a half. In the energy markets, March natural gas down twelve cents, two ninety-four. March crude oil up two forty-five, closing at sixty-one sixty-nine a barrel. The financial markets mixed. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up forty-nine points, thirty-one thousand five forty-six. The Nasdaq down three hundred thirty-three points. 13,540, the S&P 500 down 27, 3,879. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Don't forget, we'll be right back here tomorrow to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you then. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.